You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, really, you will. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you, live from Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM studios in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast, as heard on 112,000 blazing watts of our public airwaves from the most powerful transmitter west of the Mississippi. This is your broadcast on 90.7 FM L, uh, KPFK in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on iTunes, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation Network, RadioOrNot.com, other fine affiliates, including Radio Sputnik. Now, five days a week, you can get your broadcast if you know where to look. Welcome to it. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com glad you could join us today um we will be uh, speaking uh, in a bit here with jason leopold of vice news he'll be joining us to discuss these these recent documents that he was able to obtain from the cia concerning their use of of psychotropic drugs on detainees during interrogations after uh, after 9-11, uh, these these detainees uh, that were held in black prison sites around the world that Gitmo and so forth uh, and and drugs. Did they use them on the detainees during these interrogations? Some might call it torture. But we'll be nice for the moment and call it interrogations. So we will be talking with uh, with Jason Leopold about his exclusive on that in a little bit. Also, well, it's a little embarrassing. I've got a retraction to something that I said on yesterday's broadcast uh, concerning Jeb Bush. If you didn't hear yesterday's broadcast, you can always download it online, as you can all of the broadcasts five days a week. Lots of places to get it uh, at the archives at kpfk.org. That's your first stop. Or you can subscribe for free at iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn. You don't want to miss one uh, exciting jam-packed episode, including yesterday, concerning my comments about Jeb Bush, which I will be retracting shortly. Uh, so all of that is ahead and much more. But first, uh, given the Amtrak disaster on Tuesday night on the New York bound train out of Philadelphia, where we now know that seven uh, have lost their lives as we go to air here. There, there could be more as there are still more that are critically injured. Uh, 
It's somewhat extraordinary that on Wednesday, the very next day in the U.S. House, Republican lawmakers are actually voting to cut funds to the National Rail Service. According to AP, a powerful House committee is weighing legislation that would slash funds for Amtrak by 18% just hours after a deadly train crash in Philadelphia. The measure includes $1.1 billion for the passenger railroad next year. That's a $251 million cut from current levels. Unbelievable. President Barack Obama requested almost $2.5 billion, much more than his previous proposals. In recent years, cuts by House Republicans have been restored during House-Senate negotiations, but the railroad's budget has, in the meantime, re- remained flat. New York Democratic uh, Congresswoman Nita Lowy said the measure shortchanges important accounts, including those dedicated to transportation safety. This, the day after... The day after seven were killed in that uh, in that deadly derailment and more are injured. Uh, Way to go, House Republicans. You're not tone deaf at all. Uh, All right. Let me get on to this retraction here. Um, So yesterday uh, on on the broadcast, uh, I covered this uh, this story about Jeb Bush. He was asked by Fox News host Megan Kelly. Uh, And here's the exact quote. Knowing what we know now, would you have authorized the invasion of Iraq? Knowing what we know now. And Jeb Bush said, yes, I would have. Now, a lot of people pounced on that. A lot of Republican Democrats, progressives said, aha, you see, he's not his own man, as he claims. He would have done exactly the same as George W. Bush, not only knowing what we knew then. And by the way, we knew that the nonsense about WMD in Iraq was exactly that was nonsense. But George W. Bush chose not to look at that uh, that intelligence. And now they all pretend that, oh, the intelligence at the time all told us we all thought. Well, of course, no, we didn't. But in any case, moving the page forward, knowing what we know now, would you have authorized the invasion of Iraq? Asked Megan Kelly, to which Jeb Bush said, yes, I would have. Now. It seems to me, and it seemed to me yesterday, and I talked about it on the show, that Jeb Bush must have, he must have misheard the question from Megyn Kelly. Everyone was beating up on Jeb, but I said, you know what, obviously he knew he was going to be asked about uh, Iraq, given his uh, family ties, and he had his answer good to go to say, yes, knowing what we knew then, I would have uh, authorized it. But what he didn't hear was Megyn Kelly saying, knowing what we know now. So I was willing to give Jeb Bush a pass on that uh, and actually, you know, defended him a a, a sort of on that, saying, obviously, he misheard this. And by the way, you had Republicans beating up on him, too. Uh, Laura Ingram basically said, Jeb, dude, are you insane? So we played a part of her rant against Jeb Bush yesterday on the show. But I was defending him. See, that's how fair and balanced I am. You're welcome, Fox News. Uh, then uh, Jeb Bush got a mulligan. He went on the uh, the the Sean Hannity radio program yesterday or today. I'm not even sure at this point. And he was asked about it again by Sean Hannity. And much as I had predicted, Jeb Bush just heard the question wrong. Here's here's a short clip from uh, from Hannity with Jeb Bush asking him about it. 
you gave an interview yesterday where the question of Iraq came up, and knowing what you know now, would you go in? And I've watched the media interpretation. You said yes, and so would Hillary. And I took that to mean based on, you know, if it was the same moment with the same intelligence, would you do it based yeah. on, on that moment? The media seems to be taking it another way, and I wanted to see if I could clarify that today. Yeah, I need I thank you, because I, I was, uh, I interpreted the question wrong, I guess. I was talking about, given what people knew then, would you have done it, rather than knowing what we know now. Um, and, and knowing what we know now, you know, clearly there were mistakes as it related to faulty intelligence in the lead-up to the war and the lack of focus on security. My brothers admitted this, uh, and we have to learn from that. Okay, yeah, we have to learn from that, and uh, apologies for the uh, for the lousy sound quality there. Uh, so we have to learn from that. Yes, yes, we do, Jeb. Uh, we have to learn from that, and there you go. That's exactly what I had argued yesterday. He misheard the question. Then he went on, of course, to talk about the intelligence at the time, yada, yada. All of that is nonsense, but okay, okay. He misheard the question. And then, and then, Sean Hannity gave him the opportunity to get it right. Sean Hannity then asked what Jeb Bush would have done now that we all understand what the question actually was supposed to be. So what would Jeff do- Jeb Bush have done now that we have 2020 hindsight? So in other words, if in 2020 hindsight, you would make a different decision. Yeah, I don't know what that decision would have been. That's a hypothetical. No, no, it's not a hypothetical. No, we know what it was with 2020 hindsight with 2020 hindsight, knowing what we know now, knowing that there were not WMD in uh, in Iraq, knowing that he did not pose a threat to the world, knowing, by the way, that more than 4,000 U.S. troops would be killed for no good reason whatsoever, knowing all of that, knowing that it would have bankrupted us by trillions of dollars, knowing that it would have led to the rise of ISIS and instability in the area, in the region, knowing that it wouldn't have brought the democracy that your brother pretended this war was about, knowing all of that, knowing what we know now, knowing all of this, it, with 2020 hindsight, Jeb Bush... The answer is no. No, I wouldn't have done it. Even if you have to lie, even if you would have done it, just say no, Jeb. You know, back in 2007, I wrote about Barack Obama, who had made a comment uh, uh, to the AP while we were uh, while while Democrats, in any case, were, were negotiating with Republicans and George W. Bush about funding the uh, funding the troops in the middle of the Iraq war as things were not going well. And the Republic and the Democrats had said to uh, to Bush, they, they passed a, a, a funding bill that said we will only fund this war if you give us a timeline for when we are going to get out of the war. And George W. Bush said, no, I won't do it if there are if there is any timeline. If there is any timeline included in the legislation. And Barack Obama, who was a senator at the time, then went out to the AP and he was talking about that he was going to be running for president. I believe he had already announced his his intentions to do so. And what he told the AP was that, well, you know what, if George W. Bush decides to uh, veto this bill, then we'll just change it. We'll just change it and remove the timeline. In other words, he gave away his hand. He said, yes, we are bluffing. 
Before the negotiations even moved forward, he said, yes, we are bluffing. And then he told AP, and this is a direct quote, I wrote about it in 2007. He said, quote, I think it's important for voters to get a sense of how the next president will make decisions in a foreign policy arena. So he told everyone he was going to be a lousy negotiator. And I pointed that out in 2007. I said, this alone is a reason Reason enough not to vote for Barack Obama if this is the kind of president he's going to be, if he's going to give away the store before he's even negotiated anything. Uh, this tells you everything you know. I was quoted at the time on Fox News. Britt Hume actually quoted what I had written at uh, Bradblog.com at the time. And in the years since, I've referred uh, back to that as Obama turned out to be a terrible negotiator, came in immediately, gave away tax cuts, huge tax cuts in the stimulus bill, allowed the Bush tax cuts to continue year after year after year, gave Republicans everything they wanted, including on Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act, gave them everything they wanted. And in return, he got nothing. He got no votes from the Republicans. He, he has been a lousy negotiator. He's gotten marginally better in, in the last year or two. But for the first five or six years, a terrible negotiator. He gave away everything. And we could have known that years in advance before he became president had people been paying attention, had they been, frankly, reading Bradblog.com. You're welcome. So what uh, these presidential candidates say when they're running, when they're starting to run, when it's early, when they don't have their stories straight yet, when they're actually speaking from their brain, what brain they have, you know, before they've been uh, trained, before their, their, their media advisors have, you know, given them a, the exact words they should respond with every question. What they say before they run, before, it, you know, when it's early, tells us a lot. Pay attention and pay attention to what Jeb Bush is saying here. I defended him yesterday. I gave him a pass. He received a mulligan. He got to answer the same question again. And instead of answering it right, he answered it completely wrong. He said, well, 2020 hindsight, I don't know. I got to echo uh, the uh, right winger Laura Ingram here and say, hey, Jeb Bush, are you insane? I don't know if you're insane, but I also defended you yesterday, Jeb, and said you're supposed to be the smarter of the two Bush brothers. I think I was wrong about that, too. I'd like to retract that as well. He kind of appeared uh, smart when he was the governor of Florida. Evil, but smart. Now, now that he's under uh, scrutiny of the media and we can really listen to him, I take it back. Jeb Bush is at least as dumb as George W. Bush. I retract the defense from yesterday. You're welcome. We're going to take a quick break and come back with Jason Leopold, something that is uh, much more important, frankly, and the uh, potential drugging of prisoners who are being interrogated by the CIA. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. back. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A little bit of revival there from the Almond Brothers for our uh, one of our favorite listeners at KPFK, our friend Betty, one of our favorite listeners and callers. Hi, Betty. 
Okay, we've been talking about uh, torture, frankly, for some time on this uh, on this broadcast and the attempts of the Senate Intelligence Committee to uh, get their torture report out, torture of the, uh, the CIA, the post-9-11 era CIA torture program. That has now finally been released, at least an executive summary of that torture that followed 9-11 and of our detainees really all around the world. And here's what we know. We know now... Uh, as Jason Leopold uh, writes at Vice News this week, that the CIA subjected war on terror detainees, and war on terror is in quotes appropriately, war on terror detainees that it held at uh, black site prisons to sleep deprivation, rectal feeding, waterboarding, ice water baths, strainful stress positions, beatings, mock executions, mock burials, and threats of sexual abuse. All, by the way, which would be in violation of any number of uh, uh, torture treaties that the U.S. is a party to, but we did it anyway, and no one has been held accountable to date other than uh, one of the whistleblowers who exposed what was going on. With all of that, with all of that that we did, apparently the CIA now claims we may have done all of that other stuff, but drugging uh, uh, detainees during interrogations, that would be a bridge too far. According to his article at Vice News, the headline is the CIA did not drug detainees before interrogations, says the CIA. That's from uh, investigative journalist uh, Jason Leopold, who is now raking the muck at Vice.com. He's also the author of the L.A. Times bestseller News Junkie, a memoir. And, of course, I suspect his proudest achievement, no doubt, is being described as a FOIA terrorist for the string of amazing Freedom of Information Act requests he's been filing over the last several years, which have often uh, revealed amazing results. He now uh, has new results that, uh, from, based on a FOIA uh, concerning the allegations that the CIA was actually drugging detainees uh, during their, uh, I, I hate even uh, calling it their interrogation, during their torture sessions, but we'll go ahead and say during their interrogation sessions. Uh, he joins me now to discuss what those, uh, what those uh, public records requests actually revealed. Jason Leopold, my friend, welcome back to the broadcast. Great to be back with you, Brad. Okay, so uh, this is really difficult to figure out. Uh, yeah. Was the CIA drugging detainees as many of the uh, detainees who came out of Gitmo and so forth uh, have claimed? Or were they not drugging detainees as these documents seem to suggest from the CIA inspector general? And, and this is where it gets uh, how I have to sort of craft my response that, that answers your question but also answers it in the way that this, or, or, or explains how the CIA answered it. Right. Uh, and that requires me to just do, you know, just to give you a little bit of background on it. Mm -hmm. The background on this is that back in 2008, uh, when one of the John Yoo memos had been publicly released, and this was a memo that John Yoo wrote for the Defense Department, and this was a memo about how the military could interrogate detainees, what, what were their... Uh, uh, guidelines. And this was and John Yu was in uh, the Office of Legal Counsel under George yeah. W. Bush, and he's the one who wrote what have come to be known as the torture memos because they essentially uh, g gave the green light to go ahead and torture. They called it enhanced interrogation. He said, as long as you do right. this, not that, then these processes would be perfectly legal. And that's 
the Obama administration, I think, has disavowed uh, those legal findings from the Bush administration, right? That's right. Yeah, okay. and actually, the Bush administration, uh, they also, uh, toward the end of Bush's term, disavowed those memos as well. Okay. Uh, sort of a forgotten little fact there. Okay. But back in 2008, uh, this memo was released. And this memo, uh, at the time, the, the what we've come to know as the torture memos, those are still classified. But this memo came out, and this memo actually uh, contained details about the use of mind-altering drugs. And basically what John Yu said in his memo, along with many other things, but uh, focusing on the drugs angle, is that, uh, is that uh, the use of mind-altering drugs for interrogation, that there's no ban on it. Uh, it could be used uh, if, if these interrogators uh, uh, wanted to use it. So he there was not a, a ban on that, as there had been previously. He was saying, and, he was, he was saying that... The, uh, the the UN torture treaty didn't ban it, or U.S. law did not ban it. Oh, he was referring to uh, U.S. law. Okay, so uh, he was saying there's yeah. no way that if we want to go ahead and do it, nothing in our uh, current U.S. Uh, code stops us from uh, giving psychotropic drugs to people who are being interrogated. Exactly, and so this Washington Post story basically uh, had one detainee who was a Guantanamo detainee, but also. Uh, had uh, uh, allegations that were raised by uh, a little more than a dozen, or maybe it was two dozen other detainees, who said that before they were interrogated, they were either you know injected with some unknown substance, or they were given some sort of pill uh, that they were forced to take, and uh, it, it left them with uh, you know feeling of uh, uh, being lethargic, mm-hmm. hallucinating, and then they were interrogated. That Washington Post story prompted, back then, uh, Senator Joe Biden, uh, Carl Levin, Chuck Hagel, Biden obviously vice president, Hagel went on to be secretary of defense, Mm -hmm. uh, prompted them to write letters to the inspectors general of the Department of Defense and the CIA uh, saying, we want you to investigate this. But their letter, uh, their letters were very, very narrowly focused in the way it was drafted. And they said, we want you to investigate not whether detainees were drugged, whether they were drugged for the purposes, okay, for the purpose of facilitating, of enhancing their interrogation, of, of using it as a, almost as a t- its own separate technique. Okay. So the use of drugs was that a technique. Uh-huh. The Defense Department uh, 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 Inspector General did their investigation. They actually came away with you know, a finding that uh, was quite disturbing. They said, uh, and, and this is where it's just sort of hard to make sense of it, they said, yes, we drugged detainees, and then we interrogated them. But we, didn't, we did not drug them for the purposes of their interrogation. <laughs> yes, we gave them drugs that could be uh, uh, construed as, you know, mind-altering substances. But we didn't do that in order to get them to reveal anything. What, 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 we just happened to have given these drugs. What, 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 what was the reason that they claimed that they did give them these drugs? Just to, uh, they were having uh, sleeping problems? They were uh, stressed yes. out? What, what was the, they, what's the claim? Yeah, they, and, and some of it was, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, due to stress. Uh, some, of the expl- uh, some of the explanations in the Defense Department's report were, uh, you know, it was a medical necessity. So they left, it, it was clear that, you know, because of the way this letter was written, their investigation 
you know, was very sort of narrowly focused on the way that the senators wrote this letter. Now, uh, meaning like, did you do this because of you wanted to try to get them to reveal, these detainees to reveal some sort of intelligence about uh, al-Qaeda or, or threats, uh, as opposed to simply writing a letter saying, did you drug these detainees? You know, that would have possibly led to a different type of investigation. Are you, so suggest- report- are, are you suggesting that the senators, the way they wrote the letter at the time, was purposely written so as to not get to the truth, to sort of give a, a, an out to I'm the... Not, yeah, I'm not saying that they purposely did that, but I, I want to say that it was sort of uh, a, a bit of a mistake on their part. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. They, I, I don't believe they really had the intent... Um, because they didn't have to write the letters at all. They didn't. They could have just let this story go. The fact that they did, yeah. Um, and we have copies of those letters attached to my story. Uh, clearly, should show that this was something of interest to them. Right. Um, but unfortunately, the way they they drafted it, it, it led you know the the DODIG at the time to uh, you know to undertake an investigation that was narrowly focused. What had not been clear, Brad, is that whether or not the CIA ever undertook such an investigation. And, and it was, you know, we, we didn't know whether that was the case, and simply because they were very, very secretive about it. They would not reveal any details uh, because the Senate was uh, 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 tackling their own investigation. Mm-hmm. So they just were not talking about this. So, you know, three years ago, I filed this Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, it turned out to be a lawsuit. Um, uh, that I filed a, a subsequent lawsuit because the because Friday. they because they did not respond uh, in the time Correct. that they're given. Okay. Exactly, and uh, and last week you know, we received these documents, and it was uh, actually I'm 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 stunned that they released what they released, even though it's redacted, because one it does show you know now that now I'm going to get to that sort of this is a long answer, but to answer your question, yeah, it's the same thing that DOD said. Detainees were were given drugs, um, but you know what the CIA is saying is that they flat out you know refuse to accept any of the allegations raised by the former detainees who, they, who were held in their custody, that they drug them as part of an interrogation program, that it was part of their, uh, specifically, part of their interrogation, quote, regimen. So, uh, so the CIA is just saying, that didn't happen, but we did give them drugs. And so, you know, it's, it's sort of like, it, it, it gets into this, this, this weird sort of play of, uh, uh, on words mm-hmm. and logic and, you know, they, they have, you know, the CIA is able to, at this point, say, no, we did not drug them as part of our interrogation program. No. But yeah, we did give them drugs, and they did possibly have mind-altering effects, um, but, it but just was, wasn't part of this program. But it was just, no, yeah, we didn't do it in order to, uh, to, to get a, a trick of confession or something out of them. It does... Right. And they're, they're, yeah, it, they're it, saying it's not part of the, it was not part of the you know, what we've come to know as the torture program. Okay, and so if they had done that, if they had drugged them in order to uh, elicit uh, answers or confessions or whatever it was, it, just so I understand this, Jason Leopold, that would yeah. have been illegal, right? Have we determined the actually determined the legality of something like this? John Yu was a terrible lawyer. He was saying anything the Bush wanted to hear, Bush administration wanted to hear, it seems. So moving beyond that, are we at the point where we know, had they done this, it would have been illegal under U.S. law or under something like the U.N. Torture Treaty or the Geneva Convention or so forth? Yeah, no, I mean, well, actually, that's what's, that's what's so odd about this investigation. And that, 
you know, there, there, there's several here, things here that I'm trying to sort of, you know, um, uh, in this story that I was trying to highlight. Yeah. One, the fact that they wrecked, you know, there was rectal feeding, that, that they would literally puree, and this is in the, the Senate's report, hummus, uh, spaghetti, uh, vegetables, yeah. one detainee was not eating. They pureed that food and fed him rectally. Right. Okay? The fact that they would do that, but drugs are off limits. No, we would never do that. <laughs> right. is, is, can, do they have credibility? Does the CIA have the credibility in terms of like, you know, is anyone going to believe that? So the, the, but, the, but the odd thing here is that when the torture memos, what we've come to now know as the torture memos, when those were released back in 2009, it had the same, uh, John Yu added the, or, or, or it contained the same arguments as that Defense Department memo, which said that mind-altering drugs, or, or what we know as mind-altering drugs, that uh, uh, there was no ban on it, that they could be used. Uh, and, and, you know, I, in my uh, report, I include sort of a description of, of you know, his legal argument that, that he's mm-hmm. more or less sort of uh, giving a shield to the CIA if they wanted to use it. So this investigation, what's really odd about it is that one thing that it focused on was whether or not there was a separate memo for the use of drugs, and have not been able to figure out why they were so why that uh, the CIA's watchdog thought that would be such a significant issue. He kept asking internally, "Do we have a separate memo on this? Is there a separate memo for the use of drugs?" Completely avoided. Um, acknowledging or even uh, documenting in these in, in, in these records that you know that I obtained mm-hmm. that they already had the uh, uh, authority to use drugs, uh, just just literally left it out, not even acknowledging that it existed. But the but the point that I'm trying to make here is that what you're saying is at the time that this was going on. They had the authority to use those drugs if they wanted, uh, correctly or incorrectly. That, but the the John Yu had had said yes, you can do it under these circumstances. So they had that authority. But now, what I'm asking, because I'm trying to sort of figure out where we are now, uh, do we have a new? Uh, finding or a new definitive uh, a version of whether that is legal or not. I'm asking that because I want to go back no. to to Kubark and uh, and some other issues right, where we did do some of this. But so right now, yeah, it, and I and I think that that would have been you know obviously something that was clearly it, 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 I get the sense from reading these documents that 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 was the fear. That's the, and that's what's hot. They it, right now. I don't know. Uh, at the time that they did this, they had the legal authority. Right okay. now, because the memos are disavowed, certainly, you know, it would be seen as illegal. But as we know from what the what the Senate said, what the Justice Department said, is that you know anybody that was acting under this legal authority at the time, they were, you know, they were, you know, these interrogators were fine. They weren't uh, they weren't breaking any laws. That's why we haven't seen anyone prosecuted. You know, for for. For any of this, well, uh, beyond the fact that the you know administration certainly doesn't have the will, you know, to go that far, but uh, the the legal authority was there, and you know the only drug, by the way, um, that's mentioned in the in these documents is Ambien, uh, Ambien, Ambien, uh, yeah, remember, Ambien, yeah. Uh, and and um, which, by the way, could have if you know you look it up online. I mean, you certainly could have some mind altering effects on what the uh, sure what the uh, IG was saying is that. CIA officers who would travel to the black site would be given Ambien to help them sleep. The implication in the statement that, you know, that the IG and the director of uh, CIA's Office of Medical Services was, was, was clearly saying is that they were given this, we, we, 
they, mm-hmm. they signed it out. But they, nobody ever watched them take it. So when they went to the black sites and they had this, you know, maybe they gave it to some of the detainees. Maybe that's why the detainees were, you know, were, <clears throat> were complaining. Because um, a lot of them so, complained, and the CIA, so the CIA did have this Ambien on them. They could have, and it's very powerful stuff. You can put a little bit into the food, and and I could see where that would make them feel, as they described, uh, lethargic, uh, confused at various times. Yeah, and in fact, one of the detainees, and yeah. you know, Abdan Al-Rahim uh, Nashiri, uh, Al-Nashiri, uh, who is uh, you know the, the suspected mm-hmm. USS coal bomber. He actually said, according to the Senate report, this one that was released last September, he uh, uh, accused his, you know, his captors of drugging his food and, excuse me, sorry, and, and drugging him. Right. And so that's the only that's that's the only thing in the Senate report in, in the context of drugs. I mean, I spoke to you know uh, someone familiar who was with the larger, uh, still classified uh, Senate report. They said that they did look into it. They, they they tried to investigate the allegations, but in the cables and all of the CIA millions of pages of CIA documents, they just did not find anything, you know, to to support the detainees' allegations. But you know, one thing that's important here is that I'm talking dozens of detainees. Brad have made this claim about drugs. Detainees who don't know each other, they're not coordinating their stories, but they all describe the exact same thing. Some of them have even documented it, you know, in their books. And we do know that the CIA has a history of doing this. I, I sort of referenced it earlier, the old uh, Kubark manual, which is essentially a torture manual uh, uh, created by the CIA. We had programs such as MK Ultra, which, you know, basically these programs, they, they did. They attempted to administer, uh, whether it was LSD, whether it was a so-called truth serum, pentobarbital, uh, we have a history of doing this in the past. And if we went back to some of our past uh, procedures, our past enhanced interrogation procedures uh, for other uh, you know, parts of the interrogation, it stands to reason that we might have at the very least experimented with drugs. But the CIA, with the use of drugs in those interrogations, but the CIA is saying, no, we looked into it and we don't at least specifically find drugs being used during interrogations. There was, Jason Leopold, one um, uh, uh, point in your report, uh, I guess one of them, and uh, pardon me, I'm forgetting which one it was, uh, said that he was actually given a shot during interrogation, but that it wasn't actually drugs. It, well, it wasn't actually uh, uh, supposedly mind-altering. It was actually a flu shot. Yeah, but um, they led him to believe. They, well, they, yeah, they yeah, led him to believe that that could be uh, some sort of truth serum or something. Is it possible that these detainees were given, uh, you know, placebos essentially to yeah. scare them into believing they had been drugged? Yes, and there was a, a lot of discussion that went on very, very early on. I mean, here we are. You know, this is 13 years later, 14 years later, uh, after 9/11. And in, 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 in the world of interrogations, I mean, this is what they were discussing early on. They were discussing placebos. The one, the detainee that you're referencing is Jose Padilla. Right. Uh, Jose Padilla was you know, is U.S. citizen. You know, they, they have this sort of uh, crazy story about that he was going to detonate a, dirt, a dirty bomb in, in Chicago. He was held at a military brig here in the U.S. Right. Uh, um, you know, for years. And his interrogator led him to believe that he was being given a truth serum. It was a flu shot, but he had that psychological reaction to it, uh, and reacting in a way in which uh, he, he was uh, he, w- he was given a truth serum or, mm-hmm. or some 
sort of hallucinogenic. Uh, so that was documented. That was unbelievable uh, that that actually was, you know, that they allowed that to come out. But, you know, just I, I just want to make a point here that, you know, you said that the agency, the CIA, looked into it. And this is why this is a, 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 an important on the credibility angle with the CIA. We, we've heard these horrific stories uh, as laid bare in the Senate's report. You know, the CIA spoke to the CIA. The CIA said to their agency officers, did you guys do this? Was there any, was there any, was there any drugs? Did you sign out any drugs? Uh, they all said no, and that was the end. Nobody spoke to any of the detainees. Nobody spoke to the lawyers, doctors. Nobody looked at medical charts. This wasn't an investigation. That's the kind of, if you want to call it a scandal, I kind of call it a little bit of a scandal, that there was no real investigation. So here you have these senators who asked for an investigation, uh, and a, a proper and thorough investigation was not undertaken. Uh, what's very interesting, there's a newly declassified letter here from the CIA's IG to Senator Dianne Feinstein um, discussing this. And uh, in addition to that, at the time, you know, they were also speaking about the fact that they were, uh, in January of 2009, when this letter was sent to Dianne Feinstein, uh, there was a disclosure that uh, the CIA's IG was investigating even more allegations of detainee abuse. So that's, that's some new detail there. There's some other mm-hmm. new detail about um, the, the sort of medical treatment of detainees, just a couple of paragraphs. But in, in you know, for, for you listeners, so, so everyone knows yeah. that in this world, Getting those two paragraphs is a, is a victory because of how secretive you know this agency yeah. is. We yeah. don't know anything about these guys. So the, the the bottom line is this: there there really wasn't a thorough investigation, and we still don't really have you know uh, uh, the truth about it. What we do know is the Taney's were drugged. The CIA is saying, hey, yeah, we drugged them, but not really for you know for interrogation purposes. But they did all these other things. So, so, so we you know, either have you choose to who believe. Yeah, you have to choose who to believe. We either have a cover up at this point, or we do not. <laughs> and it, yes, and, and that's what's so hilarious because yeah. we just, you know, we, we we didn't move anything forward here, really. Uh, um, but but like I said, you know, the documents are really interesting. Uh, they're attached to the story to read. Uh, just because you get to kind of see a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, it's very, very difficult to get these, and I, frankly, I'm really surprised that the CIA, you know, declassified and released it. Hopefully they're not listening, and, and they, they won't uh, say, well, in that case, we won't give you anything else. Oh, they but, will. Uh, oh, they are listening, yeah, and yeah. they will say that, and they won't give you anything else, and you'll be back in court suing them again. Jason Leopold, yeah. before I, very quickly, before I let you go, yeah. we've got just about 30 seconds here. I know you have spent a lot of time lately uh, at Gitmo over the last uh, several years. Very quickly, what's the current situation down there? Can you tell us if, if anything uh uh, it, it, there's there's been talk that they are looking at apparently uh, Obama trying to shut this place down by hook or by crook before he leaves office, uh, even if he doesn't get congressional approval, is looking at other ways. Is that just stuff and nonsense, or are you able to see any actual changes, any movement down there that could indicate there is something afoot? Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely, the administration definitely is trying to do that. The big problem right now is that they don't have the countries that, that, uh, that are lined up to take them. There's 122 prisoners still there, mm-hmm. uh, and the administration is, is, is desperate to get many of them out. And I'll have a bigger story on this later this week, but okay. one reason that they're desperate, Brad, I'll leave, just leave you with one, uh, on this, 
they're worried that many detainees may soon die at Guantanamo. They don't want that on their hands. Obama does not want that on his hands. That that political sort of you know uh, uh, problem that that would bring. Um, but there are a number of detainees who are in very 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 poor health, and uh, they're not getting that the, you know the type of medical treatment that that they need. Um, and so they're not getting it, now. or they're refusing it, Jason. Uh, no, they're not getting it. So there's, there's, you know, the doctors have to because these detainees are not allowed to be left, uh, and because they at Guantanamo they don't have certain medical equipment uh-huh. there. Think uh, so that their doctors and medical equipment actually have to be flown to Guantanamo in order to, um, in order to treat them. Mm-hmm. But this is an aging detainee population, and you know it's a very very stressful environment that they're in. And you know detainees have diabetes. Uh, kidney problems. So there is a fear now that as this detainee, as this detainee population gets older, uh, that and, and along with the stresses of 13 years in, in, in captivity, as, as you know, brings mm-hmm. with it, that they're going to start to see detainees die. And so the administration is really trying to get some of the more uh, the ones that are that are uh, have health problems out of there. So they don't, they don't have this problem. I got you. Uh, yeah, before it uh, becomes even more of an embarrassment than it already is. Uh, thank you. Uh, investigative journalist Jason Leopold, now of Vice.com, doing fantastic work over there. Check out his report. The CIA did not drug detainees before interrogations, says the CIA. Uh, always great to talk to you, Jason. I suspect we'll have to uh, talk again soon because you're doing some fantastic work over there at Vice. Thanks, Brad. Really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. We'll talk soon. Okay, as usual, we're running late, so a quick break, and then we're back with more Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay tuned. Well, you've got your diamonds and you've got your pretty clothes and the chauffeur drives your car you let everybody know but don't play with me cause you're playing with fire yeah don't playing with fire right here on the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. My thanks to Jason Leopold for uh, taking uh, some time out from He's actually down at uh, Camp Pendleton uh, today. He's been spending a lot of time at Gitmo, though. <laughs> so anyway, uh, thanks, Jason. Um, want to get to this. Uh, Des, uh, keep Get that rats and roaches uh, audio clip uh, queued up. I want to get to that in a moment. Uh, and I want to get to this uh, this fossil fuel subsidy issue in a moment as well. But I didn't get to there was one point uh, at the top when I was retracting my defense of Jeb Bush that that I didn't get to uh, make, which is that Jeb Bush was given the opportunity, given a second opportunity to get the question right about what would you do knowing what you know now about Iraq? He was given a second opportunity to get it right by Sean Hannity, who said, with 2020 hindsight, what would you do? And Jeb said, I don't know. So Jeb is just too stupid to be president. He's too stupid, apparently, to even know how to lie, Uh, you know, which actually, I hate to say it, is an important quality in a president, knowing how and when to lie. So if you had to know, if you had to lie, that would have been a good time. 
Even Chris Christie, who is an excellent liar, uh, knew to, to lie about this one. He was asked about uh, what, what would you do in hindsight if we know uh, if we know now what we if we knew then what we know now. What would you have done? Would you have invaded Iraq? And Chris Christie said, well, if we knew then what we know now and I was president of the United States, I wouldn't go to war. So Chris Christie said, there you go. It's that easy. It's just that easy. Uh, but how dumb are you, Jeb Bush? You had two chances to get this right. You didn't get it right. Even Ted Cruz got this one right. He was asked about it also by uh, uh, Megan Kelly, Megan Kelly over on Fox. If you know, uh, if you knew then what you know now, would you have invaded Iraq? Cruz said, of course not. He said, I mean, the entire predicate of the war against Iraq was the intelligence that showed they had weapons of mass destruction and they might use them. And without that predicate, there's no way we would have gone to war with Iraq. And we know that now in hindsight. So even Ted Cruz would have gotten that question right, even if he had to lie about it. And he probably is. He, he would have gone to war. Chris Christie would have gone to war. They love war. But they don't even know when to lie. Uh, at least Jeb Bush doesn't even know when to lie. So this notion, this this idea that's been floated for years, and I even fell for it, that Jeb Bush was the smartest, smarter of the two Bush brothers, at least of those two. There's other ones as well. Uh, no, he, he's not. He's not. And so this is the advice that I would give uh, to anybody considering voting for another Bush for president of the United States. This advice comes from George W. Bush some years ago. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. It fooled me, we can't get fooled again. There you go. There you go. George W. Bush with some sage advice about voting for his brother. Okay, uh, U.S. T uh, taxpayer subsidies... Uh, are, are, are subsidizing the most profitable. And Des, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, my co-host on the Green News Report, we've talked about this many times. Oh, yeah. The, uh, you know, the U.S. taxpayer is subsidizing the most profitable industry in the history of civilization. That yeah. is the, the fossil fuel companies, the oil industry, coal industry, et cetera. Trying to get subsidies for clean, renewable energy there's a whole stif uh, different story. It's like it's like pulling teeth trying to get uh, you know money for for investment in solar and wind and so on and so forth. Um, but the Guardian has been doing the UK's Guardian, of course, the UK media, not the uh, US media. The UK Guardian has been doing a great job, actually, calling for an end to fossil fuel subsidies, calling for uh, divestment from fossil fuel companies, and saying basically leave it in the ground. Uh, and now a new uh, Guardian investigation has revealed that, in fact, the world's biggest and most profitable fossil fuel companies are receiving huge and rising subsidies from U.S. taxpayers, a, a practice slammed as absurd by a presidential candidate given the threat of climate change that they're talking about Bernie Sanders there. But a Guardian investigation of three specific projects run by Shell, ExxonMobil, and Marathon Petroleum has revealed that the subsidies that they were all granted uh, were granted by politicians who received significant campaign contributions from the fossil fuel industry. So, for example, 
Shell's proposed $4 billion plant in Pennsylvania is set to benefit from tax credits of $66 million a year for 25 years. Shell has bought the site and has 10 supply contracts in place lasting up to 20 years, including from fracking companies extracting shale gas in the Marcellus Shale Field. The deal was struck by then-Republican Governor Tom Corbett. Speaking of dumb, <laughs> I think I've called him the dumbest governor in the U.S., although that's a, that's quite a contest uh, between Maine's Paula Page and Arizona's Jan Brewer. But in any event, Tom Corbett, he's been thrown out. Uh, in any event, he struck this deal, and uh, right after he received over a million dollars, a million dollars in campaign donations from the oil and gas industry. Oh, Co- but I'm sure yeah. that those have nothing to do. One oh, yeah. has nothing to do with the other. Oh, it's coincidence. Yeah, coincidence. According to Guardi- uh, the Guardian analysis uh, of data compiled, uh, Shell had spent $1.2 million on lobbying in Pennsylvania alone since 2011, Shell spokesperson says Shell supports and endorses incentive programs, incentive programs provided by state and local authorities that improve the business climate for capital investment, economic expansion and job growth. Shell would not have access to these incentive programs without the support and approval from the representative state and local jurisdictions. Well, that is true. They would yeah. not have these incentives if these incentives were not given to them and by the, politicians. Right. If they didn't buy them. From those politicians. Similarly, Exxon Mobil's Baton Rouge refinery is the second largest in the U.S. Since 2011, it's been benefiting from exemptions from industrial taxes worth over $118 million over 10 years. The Republican governor of Louisiana, Bobby Jindal, has expressed his pride in, in attracting investment from Exxon Mobil. And yet, of course... Wait for it. In state election campaigns between 2003-2013, Bobby Jindal, who is also going to be running for president, he's pretending, uh, Bobby Jindal received 231 contributions, 231 contributions from oil and gas companies and executives, totaling more than $1 million. According to a list compiled by environmental groups, ExxonMobil says uh, they, they will not respond to Guardian inquiries because of its lack of objectivity on climate change reporting demonstrated by its campaign against companies that provide energy necessary for modern life, including for newspapers. So, <laughs> and, of course, cable TV. That's right. They won't talk to them. All that advertising. That's right. They won't talk to them. Because, all right. So that so you get an idea. Uh, yeah. Well, just there's, there's there's these subsidies that the oil industry has been receiving. They've been getting them since 1916. These are permanent subsidies that were voted into Congress 100 years ago. And they've had this kind of support for 100 years now. And when it comes to renewable energy, renewable energy industry has to fight to get these subsidies that they do get, the tax support, the tax incentives that the oil industry enjoys, they have to fight for them every single year. They get voted on every single year. The wind energy tax credit, the solar energy tax credit, these are all f- are are not permanent, unlike the fossil fuel industry, which gets four times what the renewable energy gets. And Republicans like to say we shouldn't be in the business of picking winners and losers. Well, Remember surprise. that during the Solyndra thing? Yes. Uh, so they, they like to pretend. So they're only against picking winners and losers when uh, one of the uh, winners or losers is going to be a uh, renewable uh, energy company. But when it's a fossil fuel industry, yeah, we'll pick them. They're winners. Keep going. Keep going for 10, 20, 30 uh, years. 
Uh, but so we know that we, we know that the uh, these industries are paying off the politicians for these deals, for these incentives. They, they pay a million dollars. They get uh, 10 billion dollars in return via tax cuts. And these are profitable industries that make 45, 50 billion a year, if not a quarter. Right. But now uh, the question comes down to, you know, we've raised this question, Desi, in the uh, in the Green News report. Uh, all of these uh, these farmers and these ranchers along the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, you know, the route. with the route where that's going to be running. Yeah, they're having their land taken away by uh, eminent domain and, and it, against their wishes. The government is coming in and saying, no, no, we're doing this. And by the way, we're doing this on behalf of a Canadian company. Give us your land. Republicans for years have pretended they're against eminent domain, but they haven't said a word when it comes to the Keystone XL pipeline and the land that has been t being taken away from ranchers who say, no, I don't want to give up my land for this. But it's even worse than that. This, this is a, a Southeast Iowa man claims an oil company offered him a $1,200 teenage prostitute if he would allow a crude oil pipeline to cross his property. Wow. Huey Tweedy is his name. He said he recorded a senior pipeline representative from Dakota Access LLC offer him three times the, quote, sexual services of a woman, including a final office offer of an 18-year-old prostitute. Wow. Yeah. He said, if an old junkyard dog like me was offered the sexual services of little girls to get my hackles down, I wonder what was offered to the power brokers of this state to gain their support for silence. Uh, the Dakota Access apparently is a, a, sub, a subsidiary of Texas-based Energy Transfer Partners. They want to build the 1,134-mile, $1, billion-dollar Bakken pipeline to carry crude oil from North Dakota to Illinois. Uh, it, Tweedy does not want the pipeline on his land, and he doesn't think the government should force him to allow the oil company access to his property through eminent domain. So finally... Somebody is standing up uh, against this. He calls himself a libertarian. Uh, he, he said his attorney advised him against releasing the recordings to the media, so we, we can't confirm yet these recordings, uh, because he says they may be used in a future lawsuit, but he said he would turn them over to the state's attorney general if a criminal investigation is launched. He did not identify the specific company representative, but he said the official was, a, was highly placed and not a rogue operative. The landowner said he went public with his allegations to encourage lawmakers to pass a bill currently under consideration in the Iowa Senate that would require pipeline developers to pay legal fees for landowners who can't afford to hire their own attorney to advise them on land lease contracts. From the beginning, he says, I've been treated like a hick and a fool. He said, I very well may be a hick, but I am no fool, and I don't think most Iowans are. Good for him. Good for you, Tweety. Maybe we need to get him on the broadcast. All right. My my thanks, as ever, to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to our board operator today, G, and, of course, to my guest, Jason Leopold of Vice News. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel, tomorrow. Until then, you can download our shows anytime from bradblog.com, from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, from sputniknews.com. And, of course, you can find me at the Brad blog at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.